about this girl Maybe I should I met her in Philly And her name was Brown See we be making love constantly That's why my eyes are a shade Blood burning The way that we kiss is unlike any other way That I be kissing when I'm kissing What I'm missing, won't you listen? Brown sugar, babe I guess high off your love I don't know how to be Welcome to episode 11 of the critically acclaimed Setting the Edge podcast. I'm your I'm your host, Justin Mosqueda, at J-U-M-O-S-Q on Twitter. I'm here with my co-host, Charles McDonald. You can find him at Yak Prescott on Twitter. Say what's oh, up to God. Charles. What's up, everybody? I'm still pretty sad. Atlanta Falcons fan, Charles McDonald. Yeah. Uh, how, how did that go? I mean, I kind of experienced that a little bit in the NFC Championship game a few years ago with my Packers going against the Seattle Seahawks. But uh, Super Bowl, that's kind of different. Yeah, if if you look at my timeline from the night, it was I was I hit a super peak. I I I thought they were gonna win. You know, especially when Julio caught that pass at the end, uh, like right behind the Michael Jackson tiptoe. Yeah, the, the Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson tiptoe. I I thought that was it, but then they just just shit the bed and uh, yeah, just ran like three three passes in a row on the twenty two yard line, up eight with four minutes left in the game. And uh, they ended up losing the Super Bowl, so I was I was pretty miserable. I I knew it was over as soon as uh, New England got that two point conversion to tie it at twenty eight. I knew that was it. Is that is that when it was? Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Is when when the tipping point was? Because in those games, like again, like I said, I can only think about this from like the Packers NFC Championship type emotion thing, right? But like once Seattle started running like zone read, and I was like, oh, you figured this out. It's like, oh, this is done. Was that, so that was it? It was the two-point conversion where you're like, they're yeah, just out skiing? that's when I was like, it's over. It, like, all the momentum, which is real, is in the favor of the Patriots. It's done. Momentum is real. Um, so, like, one thing that I think that everyone can appreciate is, like, watching Bill Belichick in that situation. And, like, Josh McDaniels, too, right? Like, seeing, like, the, the specialized onside kicks, right? Like, the very, yeah. like, worked-on two-point conversions, like... You you basically got to see him like in the most stressful situation possible in his career, and him just execute at a high level, and just watching like a machine move like that is kind of incredible. Yeah, it it was it was something else. Um, but it, it was so funny, like like when uh, the Falcons got up to twenty one to nothing after that Robert Alford pick six, Belichick was just furiously writing shit down like on his notebook, and I was like, oh no, I started to get a little bit nervous, a little <laughs> bit nervous there, but then they came out. Made it twenty eight to three in the third quarter, and I, I mean, th- I mean that fourth quarter just has to be one of maybe the biggest collapse in NFL history. He was just writing cover two man on that notebook, just over and over again. It's just yeah. every play, cover two man. They're sending four. They got too high, and they're playing man. Like I think the only way that you guys like varied from that is when you guys uh you guys were playing like a little. It was it was cover one, but it was like not. It wasn't a spy. It was like what that that inside dude was doing is he's basically setting a fence, almost like how you play like trips, right? Yeah. Where like that inside backer, it's like you set a fence and nothing can cross your face. Right. And that's basically how they were playing like bunch trips, even uh, two to a side. Like that guy very much was like, I'm not here to spy uh, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan can run. Matt Ryan had a long run, right? Like I, th- I think he had a long run. I don't remember. I, I, I'm trying to black that game out of memory. <laughs> but basically that guy was setting a fence and was just being like there's like a crosser is not going past this like past the middle of the field yeah and i mean when you look when you play an offense that uses crossers as as heavily as kyle shanahan does that's that's a nice strategy 
I mean, I, I thought the Patriots defense was pretty overrated coming into the game, but they definitely held their own in that fourth quarter. How how sick were you when that Patriots catch happened, where there's four Falcons draped over, and he still like pulls it up for, like an inch off of the ground? Oh, I mean, as soon as as soon as Julian Edelman caught that pass, I just downed like four or five shots of whiskey. <laughs> I like I I just poured it into a big solo cup and just started chugging, because because I, I thought that uh first I thought Alfred had caught the ball for a second, but it, it just bounced off his fingertips. And then I saw Keanu Neal like rotating down from a from his like too high spot and I thought he was just gonna lay the wood on Edelman and the ball just bounced in a way that he was protected from Neal, Ricardo Allen, and then just enough space for him to get his fingertips underneath it to uh to snatch it out of the air before he hit the ground. And you know, even Edelman came out after the game and said like that catch was seventy percent luck. I, I really don't know how I did that. And uh, oh, I'm just getting nauseous thinking about it right now. <laughs> it's better than the Tyreek catch, right? If we're gonna go full like sports radio, right? That's better than the Tyreek. Oh yeah, Tyreek catch. Yeah, yeah easy. I think so too. Like level level of difficulty. That's yeah, that's way up there. Yeah, if Tyreek catch was like a nine, that's got to be like a fifteen out of ten. Because I mean, to just snatch your fingers underneath that was. I I mean I I, I still just can't understand how he did that. Uh, we should talk about what we wrote for the NFL 1000 project for uh, Bleacher Report, where we did our little previews. I think we both nailed it on yeah. the head. I mean, you wrote you wrote about Grady Jarrett being a surprise impact, right? Yeah, because I mean, if you look at how they've been doing their defensive line rotation since uh, Claiborne got hurt, they've they've been doing a lot of uh, Grady Jarrett at one. I mean, Grady Jarrett three technique and then. Uh, Rashid Hagman at one technique, and you kind of saw what Javon Hargrave did to that interior offensive line two weeks ago against the uh, in the AFC Championship game. So I was like, hey, you know, I, I think Grady Jarrett's a better player than Hargrave is right now, and if he can just line up on at three technique and just kind of tee off for a while, that's I think that's a matchup that he can win. He, you know, he ended up having two sacks from three tech, and then he had one where he was looping around, and then he had I think I think ESPN credited him with four quarterback hits. So he he definitely had a great game. Uh, just wasn't enough. What What did you uh, highlight in that preview piece? Um, so I wrote about uh, Vic Beasley. They wanted me to write up a matchup about Vic Beasley and uh, Marcus Cannon, the right tackle uh, for the New England Patriots. And my whole thing was like, Marcus Cannon doesn't really get left on an island very often, and like that's how Vic Beasley wins, right? So my whole thing was like, basically the piece was, how do you stop Vic Beasley? And my whole thing was like, well, if the Patriots keep doing what they've been doing this entire playoff run, like Vic Beasley should basically be a non-factor. Um, just in terms of like how they scheme that, I guess you'd call left end for, uh, for a team. Right. Right. And I mean, sure and behold, I mean, we saw Vic on that, like pass deflection when he was down in, in, uh, down in the goal line situation against, uh, Martellus Bennett. But other than that, I mean, Vic Beasley wasn't a huge factor, right? I mean, Courtney Upshaw and uh, Dwight Freeney were better pass rushers off the edge in that game, in my opinion. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I think I think Vic Beasley was credited with with one quarterback pressure on fifty pass rush attempts, so that's he, he got shut down. Yeah, I mean, one thing is like New England doesn't that you get a lot of back help and a lot of tight end help on that side if you're new england uh, and that that's one major reason why marcus cannon i mean basically had a flawless game right yeah um but still i mean vic beasley vic beasley while he led the nfl in sacks is still i mean you wouldn't take him above 
Khalil Mack or uh, Von Miller. Like no, he's still no, not. He's, he's still, still not his level. his numbers say that he's le- that level, but he's not that level yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, there, I remember there are a lot of people who were mad that uh, he didn't get a single vote for Defensive Player of the Year. I'm like, dude, he, he's just not on that level no. yet. And he's I, not. He's I, not. Maybe he can get there one day, and I'm. You gotta be pretty pleased that he was able to post fifteen and a half sacks while just straight up disappearing for games at a time. Yeah, so as I, a twenty-four year old. Yeah, like he's still very young. I mean, I, I still think the sky's the limit for him, but he's he's not at that level yet. Totally agree. Um, so what what would you say? Other other, I mean, everyone just goes in on Shanahan now, right? Shanahan, who's now the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. But other than that, like, what would you say you were disappointed in in this game? Because you thought Atlanta was going to win, so yeah, there must be some places where they fell short. I, see, I think the turning point was when Tevin Coleman got hurt, and they they just lost all. Like all the groove they had on offense for some reason. So, uh, you know, Devonta Freeman had I think seven yards per carry in that game, and he only had two carries after halftime. When by the time they got him up twenty-eight to three, they only ran the ball five more times in the game, which, which is just kind of inexplicable. But you know, Shanahan he's been aggressive like that all year long, and he's gonna see if he can get as many yards as he can on each play. And I I, I think that Belichick kind of took that from him towards the end of the game. Maybe he knew that Shanahan was going to try to throw the ball instead of run the ball because he's done that in a few situations uh, the past two seasons. But, I mean, I I think in a game of that magnitude, when you get down to the 22-yard line, four minutes left, first and and 10, you you can you can be a little bit conservative, you know. It, it, that's that's okay with me. And I'm I'm usually the let's go aggressive, let's be aggressive, let's go score touchdowns, but let's let's try to win a Super Bowl first. Yeah, and I have I have two comments on that. One, I think I can't remember what it was, but like I said, I was watching this game with my father, who's a Falcons fan, and there were I turned to him during one of the commercial breaks, and the first thing that I said was like, okay, so what's Atlanta doing first and second down? Run, run, right? And he just looks at me, he's like, run the damn ball, get out of the game. Um, and I can't remember, I can't remember when, if, if they were down or if they were up 25 at that point or what it was, but there was one play action play where it was like that, that, that post, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Matt Ryan hit two really nice post routes off of action. Um, and it was the second one and it was on a first down and that like, I wonder if that gave like Kyle Shanahan a little like, you know, positive reinforcement on the, you know, keep throwing the ball, you know, type thing where yeah. it's like, all right, you don't have to run the ball on first down, which that can get tricky in. Um, and the, the the thing that I want to talk to you about, because we talked about this a little bit off air, uh, is Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, right? Where you're talking about Tevin Coleman goes down and his offense loses its groove completely. Um, if anyone says that they know how Kyle Shanahan is going to either succeed or not succeed in San Francisco, they're absolute liars. Because I can't think of two offenses in terms of personnel more different than the Falcons and the Niners. The Falcons have the most diverse amount of skilled players uh, in the NFL. I think I think you could ask anyone that, and they would they would agree. And San Francisco is essentially a completely bare cupboard. I mean, they, we were talking about this. We're like name guys on the team, and we're like Carlos Hyde and then Vance McDonald because Vance McDonald just got an extension. Um, so like the the 49ers, I mean, they're they're a running back. Uh, and three receivers away from being anything and a quarterback, you know, an MVP caliber quarterback uh, away from being anything close to the Atlanta Falcons in terms of personnel. So, like, what do you think Shanahan looks like there? Man, I, I don't know. I, I, I really want to see what he does with this quarterback situation because you can't you can't. It's kind of like the Browns were last year. You can't just spend a first 
overall pick on a guy or, or second overall pick on the guy in this case and just just throw him out there to the wolves because I mean they're going to explore trading Torrey Smith who was by far the best receiver and if Torrey Smith is your best receiver he he's like a, he's like ideally a decent number two option like like he was in Baltimore when Anquan Bolden was right. balling there so I mean you look past that you got Jeremy Curley who should be a number four special teams guy and he's your number two receiver so uh, what I think they're going to do is, uh, I, I think they're going to make a run at like Jay Cutler or somebody, some like somebody like that, and then just kind of load up on front seven guys and load up on uh, load up on on skill guys because y- you can't go into twenty seventeen with Carlos Hyde and Vance McDonald being the only real threats you have on offense, and I, I think I, I think that situationally Shanahan is going to be great again, but I just don't know if he's going to have the personnel. To, to pull off, you know, more, more than, like, three wins next year. Right. Um, did you see – so Todd McShay, ESPN, uh, we talked about him on here before. Uh, he had a mock draft, and he had Deshaun Watson going second to San Francisco. What do you think about – I mean, you're a big Watson guy, right? You're a big Shanahan guy. Like, yeah. what do you think about those two kind of pairing up? I think that's a good marriage because I, I think Watson's uh, – I, I kind of think Watson was held back by his uh, – by his offense at Clemson. And I think he's definitely going to be, or not definitely, because I mean, you can't just boldly say that, but I think he's going to be a better pro than he was a college quarterback. And when you just look at how Shanahan kind of manufactured easy completions for Matt Ryan, you know, they had the RPOs, they had uh, play action with the throwbacks. They would, you know, throw back to the tight end and throw back to Julio Jones or Sanu, stuff like that. And I, I think if you give Watson kind of an easy way to manufacture yards, kind of like RG3 did in his rookie year while he grows into a, a more complete player. I, I do think that stylistically those two would pair very well together. And then you you can even look at how uh, like RG3 and even Matt Ryan to an extent this year will run the ball on bootlegs. So uh, if you can kind of get somebody over the top who's going to give the, give the clear clip the second level for the quarterback and let a guy like Watson or even, Deshaun Kaiser uh, kind of pick up first downs with their legs. I, I think that that'll be a great start for San Francisco. But if, if they're going to go quarterback at two, they got to throw money at somebody free agency to come play there because it, it's it's barren right there. So <clears throat> one one criticism that Shanahan kind of gets is the RG three thing, right? Yeah. And just like kind of exposing him and things like that. It's kind. It happened years ago, so people don't really talk about it. But Deshaun Watson had like five significant injuries between like his senior year of high school and his his uh, first year at Clemson. Like he was a true freshman starter at Clemson, but he didn't. He wasn't a fourteen game starter or whatever it was. You know what I mean? Um, do you do you think like? I don't know how do you explain this because like RG three very clearly like he was a dude who could not slide right like right. it was just he absolutely could not slide he he took brutal hits all the time. Um, do you think if he does if Shanahan would have used or would use Watson similarly to how he uses Robert Griffin used Robert Griffin the third? Do you think that there's some sort of like injury risk there, or do you think Watson's style of play is significantly different? Uh. I don't really think there's a big injury risk there because I feel like besides that, uh, like that Ruben that hit that the helicopter hit that he took in the national championship game, um, I don't. I mean, does he really expose himself to stuff like that? Because even in that Natty uh, game last year, 
when uh, he just went off versus Alabama, and, but they still ended up losing the game. He, he was getting out of bounds and kind of dodging guys and not taking big hits. But I, I think maybe in that situation, uh, in that play, he was just trying to be the hero. And uh, but I, I, I don't, I'm not really concerned about him being, you know, injury prone moving forward, especially since he hasn't really gotten hurt in, you know, two or three years. Right. I know there there's Teddy Bridgewater comparisons out there and we hit I mean we not not we y'all y'all hit Teddy Bridgewater with the skinny knees thing and things like that but I think like Watson from a running style and like injury prone he's closer to Marcus Mariota than he is like Teddy or Robert Griffin the third I think where it's like yeah he'll probably get hurt every once in a while he's a runner you know what I mean like he takes off and runs um but there's nothing that's like Nothing like structurally or like if his style of play would suggest that like he's going to be a huge injury red flag. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it, he, like he, I wouldn't say he's as careful as like Russell Wilson is to not getting wrecked uh, when he takes right. off, but he, he he's not oblivious like RG three was, where RG three is just going to get pummeled whenever he he takes off. But I I, I really I just I, I really like Deshaun Watson a lot, and I I think. Taking him at number two would be fine, but you you got to nail free agency if you're going to do that because that is not a situation where any young quarterback is going to succeed early on. Right. Um, so we asked you this before the Super Bowl, right, before Shanahan left. Now that you know Steve Sarkeesian is going to be your offensive coordinator, right, right. what do you think this Falcons team looks like next year? Because if I'm looking at this right on our lives, um, Chris, uh, Chris Chester, your right guard, Patrick DeMarco, your fullback, and Jonathan Babineau, one of your D-tackles. And D-tackle is already a position that you guys need to upgrade uh, pretty clearly. I think we're both on that boat. Yeah. Um, those are the only free agents that you guys have on the starting on the starting team. So, like, is this another team that should be winning 12 games next year? Or is this team that should be fighting for, like, a wild card spot? Like, where's your head at? Uh, I mean, I, I went back and watched some Sarkeesian. I watched, uh, I, I watched a few of his... Uh, 2014 like USC games with Aguilar and Cody Kessler and those guys and then I watched the uh the uh national championship game again uh just watching Alabama's offense and you know I, I think Sark's a good play caller situationally he's he, he's not Shanahan but then again Shanahan's like the only guy like that um but I, I do think that he did a good job of you know kind of playing the Jalen Hurts strengths in that game you know screens uh, quarterback draws, bootlegs, stuff like that, just to kind of keep them comfortable. So I, I do think the offense probably won't be as you know ruthlessly efficient as they were this past season. But they, they, I mean, they just have too much talent to be really anything worse than like a top five unit when you when you look at it. And uh, the defense, you know, they they really did come on in the uh, second half of the season, especially after Dan Quinn started calling the plays after the bye. So like if you look at the opposing. Uh, Passer rating after the bye, they were ranked ninth in the league going into that Patriots game, and before that, they were ranked like twenty eighth. So I I think if they just promote Marquand Manuel and just have him and Dan Quinn kind of run things on defense, I think I think they'll be fine. And when you look at the contributors they got from the contributions they got from you know Deion Jones, Grady Jarrett, Hagman down the stretch, Keanu Neal, Vic Beasley this year, I I think. I do think they should be the favorites in the NFC South again to at least get a wild card spot, but I'm not going to go and say that they should be back in the Super Bowl next year. 
that was my first reaction when I heard Sarkeesian too, where you're like, hey, yeah, like if he's a dude who knows when when to and to not uh, throw the ball. Like he's like Jalen Hurts, national championship game, probably don't want this freshman throwing the ball all the time. So like he, he would have ran the damn ball. That's one thing. It's like at the end of that game, he's not running those action post routes. You know what I mean? No. He, like Sharkeesian's running it down the throat trying to get out of that damn game. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, the I'm, other thing too I'm is excited. like he, he does some he does some interesting stuff too. Like I think I think in the national championship game there was like a a double pass and things like that too, right? Like he's a yeah. guy who can clearly with like an extra week of time can like install plays like it's nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because they had the uh, the double pass with our Darius Stewart, who actually has a nice little nice little arm on him. But uh, I, I I'm 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 excited. I just really want them to nail this offseason, get some more defensive linemen. So. I mean, because you, when you when you have an offense like that and you can play with the lead almost every single game, you got to be able to rush the passer a little bit more efficiently than they did. You have any Super Bowl halftime takes? Anything like that? No, I was just blasting Migos the entire time. <laughs> I didn't see a second of that Lady Gaga show. I, w- I, I went to go get food, honestly. I went to go get food. I brought the lady friend over to my dad's house and she was watching it. Me and my dad went to go make food. Um, so I missed all of it. So I think... I mean, I think we got this pretty much covered. Super Bowl wrap up. Yeah, we just have one more, uh, one more little Super Bowl thing. So I was really sad after the Falcons lost, and I decided to take my grievances to Twitter uh, to Tinder. Actually, so if you were following me on Twitter, Tinder, yeah, on Twitter, uh, well, excuse me, you'll get it. You'll I'm, get it. I'm just English. English is a second language. I know. I'm Pardon still, my friend Carlos. I'm still, uh, I'm still heartbroken. So I was just. Trying out new conversation stars on Tinder. So I uh, first off, I started off with uh, this girl named Ehi. I don't know how to pronounce her name. And I just started off and said, my favorite team lost in the Super Bowl. And she said, Jesus Christ. And then she unmatched me. Next one. I uh, messaged this girl named Avery. Kyle Shanahan is a liar and he will break your heart. Much like my ex-wife didn't respond. Then I uh, messaged this girl, Simone. Simone. My favorite team lost in the Super Bowl. Please teach me to love again. And, you know, actually went there for a little bit, and I actually got her phone number. And then the last one, I uh, was talking to this girl named Angela, and I said, Julio Jones caught that pass for nothing. I feel dead on the inside. Will you please marry me? And we are going out to see a movie on Valentine's Day on Saturday. Hey, happy ending. Hey. So what, what's, what, are, what are your pictures? Is it like it's the crying frog? Falcons is the you with the tongue out dog avatar dog filter one and then like the selfie of you and Rappaport is, is I do like actually do three? have I do actually do have the selfie with Rappaport on my tinder profile <laughs> and then I have I have I, I put up the uh crying Falcons frog after and then I got the selfie with me and Dobbs up there too and I got some dogs and and she's going to date she she made she made time for you on Valentine's Day yeah Shout to that one. what's her name uh, Angela. Shall see your future ex-wife. Yeah, Angela. my future ex-wife. We're going to go see, uh, that new 50, 50 Shades of Grey sequel. So hopefully, uh, hopefully my uh, week ends better than it started. Let, you want to get into these questions? Yeah. Do we have questions? We Let's have, uh, a few from, uh, easy D at Kanye as a fan. Is it okay to cry when your team loses? No, no. No, 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 absolutely not. I wouldn't cry. I cried after a football game one time and it was like fifth grade. We lost in like the championship by one point. And that's because I played in that game and I hated half the people on the team. So, 
I mean, I was sad, but after the game, but I did I didn't cry. Nah, you don't have to, you don't have to cry. No, that's fine. I didn't play. Uh, okay. Uh, from Robert Duran at Rad seventy eight Duran, what nose tackle would you take for the Chargers in the draft, and what round? I mean, I, I don't know if that's a priority for them because Brandon Meebane played really well before he got hurt, and Karan Karan Reed was balling too, but some right, that's what, hurt. That's what that's what I was gonna say. So I was like, San Diego. If you're Gus Bradley's in San Diego, correct? Yeah. All right, just want to make sure that I remember things correctly before I start talking out of my butt. Um, so really, in in Seattle, they didn't even have like a pressure nose, right? Because they put those DNs uh, inside so often. Like they Atlanta did this in the Super Bowl. Um, I noticed that they they did it more more often than they usually do, where they line up a guy in the A gap, B gap, C gap, and then just have him stunt opposite of another pass rusher. Yeah. Um, and they're all they're all defensive ends. So like all four of the guys with their hands in the dirt are defensive ends. They're all primary pass rushers. Um, so like I don't expect like the Chargers just really need one like space eater. You know what I mean? And Brandon Meebane, like he's done that in Seattle under Bradley. So like I don't really see how that's that big of a deal. Um, I think you could take him. There's really like you don't need a pressure nose. So like guys like Caleb Brantley and uh, uh, Jaleel are out of the conversation there. So it's like you're not even having like a top pick. Like maybe it's Dalvin Tomlinson out of Alabama, but like how high are you taking that when you have Brandon Meebane on deck? Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I haven't really gone too deep into, you know, fourth, fifth round, sixth, like those type of nose tackles. So right. Uh, sorry, Robert, I don't think we have an answer for you. So uh, <laughs> we're off to a strong start here. Uh, from Pete uh, Hotelling. PBR or cores? PBR. PBR. Easy. Yeah. I mean, PBR. we were actually just talking about this last night in uh, one of our group chats. I'm not even like a big PBR guy, but I'll, I'll take over cores any day of the week. Dude, they were talking about like, they were talking about like PBR is worse, worse than Coors. It's worse than Bush. It's worse than we have a Keystone. Key, Keystone fan. Like, they had, we had Keystone fans, man. Like y'all are crazy. That's what they were asking. What's your, what's your cheap beer go to? And I told them the same thing where I was like, Negro Modelo and Pacifico are, like, the best Mexican beers. And that's what I'll have if I'm, like, trying to, like, taste anything, right? Unless I'm at, like, at a bar and you'll get, like, something on tap, right? But, like, if you're going cheap beers, it's, it's like, PBR and Rainier for me. And, like, I guess Rainier is, like, a, a regional thing. But, like, PBR is not bad, man. Like, I don't even feel like that's, like, a – I know I'm from Oregon. I know y'all want to label me as a hipster, right? Like, all that. But, like, PBR is not bad. Drink it. It's beer. Yeah. I mean, I, I I pretty much feel the same way about beer, but you won't catch me dead with a Keystone in my hand. I'm, that's that's just unacceptable. With the orange can, that's yeah. the one that came in the orange can, right? Um, yeah. No, I think that was Bush. Oh, whatever. It's it's, it's all the same thing. No, don't catch me with an orange can. No way. Looking like a Nickelodeon like music right. tape. No, like no a, way. Like a, a hillbilly. No. All right. Uh, one more. I think we kind of covered this a little bit. Uh, is that from David Kang? Is that Super Bowl loss the most unexplainable sports loss of all time? I mean, just being in, still in the moment of it, I'm going to say yeah, because that was just unbelievable. We've had like three massive meltdowns like in recent years. Like it's the Packers-Seahawks one, right? Yeah. Where it's like Julius Peppers is telling, I can't remember if it was HaHa or Morgan Burnett, to get down on the ground because the game is sealed. And they were up like three scores at that point. And it's Julius Peppers' birthday. He's telling them to get down on the ground. We're about to run out this clock. And then that team ends up losing like with five minutes left in the game. Um, the Falcons, right? I mean, just we already went over this. And then 
uh, Golden State. You, you like, know, just I, I think Golden I'm, State might be a little bit crazier because it, it happened over it happened over three games. Yeah, that, it had that, that's three what I was games. So, because you know, the one game samples can always be a little bit wacky, but you got three chances to close it out, and I right. think what, two of them were at home. Yeah, come on, dude, you, you, you got to figure out to get that done. Especially like in a sport like basketball, where there's so many possessions, as opposed to football, where like even in football, it's a three point lead or it's a three score lead. You know what I mean? I guess yeah. 20, 25 points is more than that. Twenty five points is a four score lead. But still, like when you're talking just purely like possessions relative to how many possessions are in a game, like it's easier to make up ground in football than it is in basketball. Or yeah. it's easier to make up ground. Yeah, I said that right. Yeah, you did. Uh. So that's all we have for questions. I actually have a quick question for you because I all saw right, this floating around on the timeline uh, a little bit Uh-oh. earlier. If you no, 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 it's not bad. It's not derogatory, inflammatory. But okay, if you had a, a a player comparison for Solomon Thomas, what would it be? Because I, uh, I mean, somebody, was, I don't know. Somebody was saying like not JJ Watt, not JJ Watt, and then somebody was saying, "Well, do you think he can play three tech like Aaron Donald?" Like, absolutely not. No, 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 no. no. Look, listen you guys have such a misconception of who Solomon Thomas is, and it makes me very frustrated. I agree. Okay. Solomon Thomas has a lot more up and down play than you guys are giving him credit for. Yes, he has absolute splashes. You watch him against UCLA and you watch him against North Carolina and you think he should be a number one pick. But there are other games in there where he does not look good. If you watch – damn, I can't remember which game it was. I can't remember if it was like Arizona or something like that. It's whatever last – the last game that I tweeted out that I was watching of him. Like he can't hold up against a double team, period. Like you can't play three-tech. You can't play three-tech if you can't hold up against a double team. Like I know if he is a three-tech, he's a pressure three in that like quote-unquote Michael Bennett style, right, where everyone's like, here's it, here's an end who kicks inside. He's not a three-down three-tech ever. Like even in a three-four defense, right – he wouldn't be playing – so you grade defensive tackles. Oh, no, wait. He's a, he's an end. Never mind. I graded him, so I'm an idiot. Um, so Mike Daniels, right? So, like, Mike Daniels is a 3-4 defensive end, but he's he was basically playing a 3-tech, right? He's playing a 3-tech on the on the uh, open side. And, like, I like Solomon Thomas couldn't be a 3-4 defensive end in that set. Oh, you know what no, I mean? No, on that no, side, no, no. He, he, can't, he can't play that. He's not strong enough against the run. Um, he's a guy who very much wins with penetration, and if you can negate that, he's going to be in trouble. And when people talk about, so he's going to line up as a defensive end, right? Yeah, yeah. What? I think I think he's like a four-three edge. Yeah. So, what pass rushing moves does he have? Uh, he's got to swim. Yeah, he's got to swim. He's got to swim, and that's all based off of how fast he gets off the line of scrimmage, and a lot of that happens inside. Yeah. It, so, he, like Solomon Thomas is kind of weird because. He's kind of like a line. He's like he's kind of like a linebacker in the sense, like you know, like you always call linebackers train pigs. So like Solomon yep. Thomas, when when they have you know a gap exchange or a twist or you know uh, a stunt on the on the line of scrimmage, and you tell him where he needs to go, you know, okay, Solomon, you're going to start off head up on the tackle, and you're going to crash hard B or C. He looks like an all pro, but when, I think when he has to think about where he needs to go and kind of read and the game slows down or the like the game isn't as readily clear as it as when you know he's a manufactured uh pressure situation i think he struggles in that area so i i think he's a lot more inconsistent than you know twitter is making him out to be but he, he's still a first round player yeah like i have like i can say that about him and still also be like he's a top 15 pick you know what 
you know what's kind of a weird comparison that you can make with that when you're talking about like if you designate what gap he hits he looks like an all pro um that's kind of how kiko alonso plays inside linebacker mm. you know what i mean yeah. like i don't think that's totally different i think there are certain guys like uh whitney merciless is kind of that guy in houston right where they have they have him come in on stunts and things like that but i don't think their body types really necessarily match up right right i mean the closest thing to that i think anthony barr had more bend right but anthony barr was kind of like that coming out of uh coming out of ucla so like and, and the thing too is solomon thomas you think of solomon thomas as this long end like Solomon Thomas is going to end up coming like six two flat. Yeah, I, I was like, I don't think that. people necessarily realize that. Like, you think of him as a longer type of guy. He's going to be six two flat. Like, he's not, he's not the biggest dude in the world, and he's still too. Listen, my whole thing on Solomon Thomas is an athletic pass rusher, right? And that's totally fine with me. I will ride and I will cape off of those guys all the time. The problem is, I don't know how he wins outside other than a swim move, which means that he's going to get long, and getting long at 6'2 means that you're losing pad level, right? Like, you're you're not bending in the right places if you're able to do that, which means that he wins a lot inside, but inside against college teams, he's getting ran off the ball on, like, doubles and combo blocks and things like that, right? So I don't know. Like, he's a guy you play outside, but he... He's going to develop more in the NFL than people are talking about. You know what I mean? Like that that's yeah. just kind of how that thing's going to play out. People think that he's like done deal like going to be like a star from the moment he comes in. He's not Joey Bosa. He's not Aaron Donald. He's not dominating on that level. Right. And it's uh I saw a a comparison for him on nfl.com today where someone was comparing him to Justin Smith. I'm like, "Whoa. You don't know what the hell you're looking at. If you think Solomon Thomas is just is Justin Smith, if Justin Smith used to hold people and like would let Alden Smith come free off the edge because like, he was so strong. How, like, like how, that's how not... many times did you see Justin Smith get blown off the ball by a double team? Right. No. Yeah. I can't. That's I can't think of a good comparison for him. Someone said Danell Hunter. I'm not sure about that. No, I was thinking maybe like maybe he could like peek out and be like a Terrell Suggs type of player. Yeah. I don't know. He, he he's a he's a weird. He's gonna. Be I, an I don't know if there's a. I don't know if there's a good comp for him because there's there's good comps for other guys. Like I'll look through, I'll look through my sheet right now. I have a couple good comps for people. Like I think Miles Garrett, like a more athletic. I think he's a more athletic, like JPP type of guy. And JPP mm-hmm. was already kind of a freak. Tim Williams, pretty. He's pretty clearly like whatever you wanted to believe in, like Bruce Irvin, right? You could do the same thing for Tim Williams. I think we're full on the Jonathan Allen being like Adrian Claiborne, Kerry yeah. Hyder. But like plus, like he's coming into the league as that type of talent. Yeah. Um, Tackers McKinley's another guy who doesn't really have a comparison. He's kind of weird because he's so explosive and has horrible pad level. Uh, Carl Lawson is a lot like Brandon Graham. Um, Malik McDowell is like a more athletic uh, DeForest Buckner. I think Charles Harris wins in similar ways to uh, to Everson Griffin, where it's a burst off the line of scrimmage and then he has that counter move. You yeah. saw him earlier uh, this week. Yeah, he's You're good. You're about man. him. He's good. Charles Harris is good and people are not giving him credit. So a little background on Charles Harris. Um, I think he was a judo guy. He's kind of similar to uh, – his background's a little bit similar to Holy Kikaha out of Washington where he was like a fighter basically his entire life. Uh, I can't remember what it was. I want to say it was judo. Um, he didn't play football, high school football until he was a junior. Uh, by the time – uh 
by the time National Signing Day came around his senior year, still no recruiting site had picked him up. Uh, no one knew who he was until he com- he was part of – he was just like announced as part of Missouri's class as a zero-star recruit. Um, he almost declared, declared last year as a redshirt sophomore. He returned to school. His defensive line coach, who a lot of people say is like one of the best defensive line coaches in the nation, ended up going to the University of Miami when uh, Missouri changed staffs. Um, Missouri kind of messed up by having him go off of ball reads when he's such an expl- or uh, off of tackle reads when he's such an explosive player. Um, kind of like I don't know if that's the right term or if this is problematic, but they basically neutered him for the first half of the season, right? Like they couldn't <laughs> let him play to his talent. Um, and second half they switched up. You saw a huge bump of Charles Harris production. Uh, that defensive line coach ended up getting fired. Uh, from Missouri so it's like they kind of just mishandled him this year and he could have declared last year uh this is a guy who absolutely 1000 percent should be a first round pick he's better than guys like Derek Barnett and Taco Charlton as far as I'm concerned Hassan Riddick as as a pure pass rusher too um Hassan Riddick I don't think is as good of a pure pass rusher or he's being overrated as a pure pass rusher in mainstream media I think he has he's a much better talent as an off the ball linebacker who can blitz all right uh so uh, that's going to wrap up this little, you know, sulking session and a little bit of draft talk. And uh, we have Ian Rappaport from uh, NFL Network. I'm sure all of you guys have heard of him before uh, coming up next. And uh, Justin, do you have anything to plug before we go to that? Uh, No, keep an eye out in a few weeks. We'll have it posted after the after our next episode, I think. But in case we take a little bit of time, um, NFL 1000 is doing a free agency uh, preview thing. So go check that out. I'm breaking down the 4-3 uh, defensive ends, and Charles is doing the defensive tackles for that project. You can find that on Bleacher Report. It's a nice website. They give us money. Yeah, I agree. It's a very nice website. So we will be right back with Ian Rappaport. Who you think I got the game from? And we're here with our guest, Ian Rappaport. Say what's up to the people, Ian Rappaport. What's up, guys? How are you? Good. He doesn't need any introduction at all. If you if you guys are listening to this and you don't know who Ian Rappaport is, you guys can pretty much go and unsubscribe right now. So what's up, Charles? So we're going to do a Q&A section with Ian Rappaport on this. Yeah, we got a, a, got a, a few qu- Yeah, we got a few questions from Twitter. Uh, some of them serious, some not so serious. First one from... Monte Al Depression, Jesus Christ, at uh, Sodium Glue. How many phones do you have, Ian, and how many contacts are in each phone? Uh, I only have one phone. I've never understood the need for multiple phones. It just seems crazy and unnecessary to me. Plus, I only have two pockets. Um, so having more than one phone and only two pockets just does not seem efficient. Uh, what I do is I have my phone, this guy right here. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I got my little text machine on the computer. And then I also, when I really needed, have a uh, texting iMessage thing on my iPad too. So theoretically, I could text three people at the same time. But rarely do I need to actually talk to two people at the same time. So one phone seems to get the job done. 
Uh, I have a question for you, Ian Rappaport. Um, why can't Chip Kelly keep a job? That's a good question. Um, and it's one I've actually thought about and I've talked to NFL people about over the last, um, really over the last several months. And, you know, there's a lot of people close to him who really want him just to take this year off. Um, and I can, you know, I can certainly understand that. Um, just kind of collect himself, figure things out. It's sort of what uh, Graciano did, you know, Lost a job with the Bucks, was upset, really at a place where he, you know, has never been. Um, so took the year off, did some soul searching, did some self-scouting um, to use NFL parlance, and ended up as defensive coordinator, uh, a defensive coordinator for Ohio State. You know, I think with Chip Kelly, to me, it's a couple things. It's one, he's always been successful. And when you've always, you know, he was, he was a small college coach and this small college offensive coordinator, then a head coach. Then all of a sudden he's at Oregon. Then all of a sudden he's the Oregon head coach and he's getting great players and his players are better than a lot of other people. And his scheme is great. And, you know, everything about him is great. Um, and he'd never failed. So I think when he failed in Philly and, and, you know, you understand human nature, you keep taking and taking and taking right. more power, more plays, faster, um, more scheme. I mean, everything was more, 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 more. Um, and then when he failed, you know, it certainly seems like there, there was not a lot of soul searching as far as like, all right, I need to change things up. I need to be more receptive to the NFL game. I need to change the way I block. Uh, I need to go slower. Um, our defenses are getting killed. They're on the field all the time. You know, all of these things where in college, when you have a hundred people on a team and, you know, it's different from the NFL when you have 46 on an active roster. Your defense can't play that fast. No. Uh, can't play that many snaps. So I think there's a lot of things that he did where he just thought would work and they didn't. And then in San Francisco, when they hardly had any talent, all of that got exposed real bad. Um, and I think it sort of made the community, the NFL community, go, hang on. How good of a coach is this guy? Really, is he ready to be an NFL coach or is he someone who needs to figure things out for a while? Yeah, I, I, so I thought you, it was kind of interesting that, you know, San Francisco, that's a place that had so much turmoil over the past, really since he got rid of Harbaugh. So well, I, I don't know if I don't know if he's bad or if that was just a bad fit for him where they're just recycling coaches year after year after year. But I, I'm really interested to see if he gets his, uh, the job at Alabama with Sarkeesian going to uh, Atlanta. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I'm not sure how likely it is. You know, and Nick Saban has had a lot of reclamation projects. I mean, Sarkeesian's one of them. Lane is another. Um, he, he's he's had some of them. Um, not all of them work out. Right. Uh, it's possible, but I'm not sure it's likely. We'll how, see, though. How surprised were you when uh, Atlanta hired Sarkeesian? Um, I was pretty surprised, but it makes a lot of sense in retrospect. Like, I hadn't thought about the name because he's currently employed. Right. Um but it makes sense because, you know, they knew they were going to lose Kyle for a long time, mm-hmm. like weeks and weeks and weeks. And it just seemed like they didn't have a plan at offensive coordinator, right? Like there was, there was always a candidate that nobody would make public, obviously Sarkeesian now. But, you know, they talked about some options. I knew that Mike McDaniel, I knew Matt LaFleur, those guys, internal candidates were not coming with them or, or were not staying and becoming coordinator. So then it was like, I kept thinking, like, what do they know that we don't? Which coach do they know is coming that we don't know about? Because it's the only thing that makes sense. Right. Um, 
And now, you know, obviously it, it makes a little more sense. And actually, like, I think it's going to be a good hire, assuming that Steve Sarkeesian is clean. Because when, you know, when he was first on the radar, he was offered the Raiders head coaching job like a decade ago. This was supposed to be like an up and coming rising coach. Um, you will see if he can sort of rekindle that. So can you kind of peel back a little bit and let us know, like, how how fast do these things happen? So, like, how early on do you think that they contacted, like, Sarkeesian when no one else knew about this? Well, he has been in contact with Dan Quinn for a long time. I believe right. he made a visiting camp. If I remember, one of them visited the other's camps. Uh, I'm not sure which. I know they talked earlier this winter. I think it was either – I think it was January. I remember the rules of contact or no contact don't really exist because it's college versus NFL. So it's not like you need to request permission at, for Alabama to speak with their guy. You can speak with whenever you want. Uh, plus, you had a conduit in Pete Carroll kind of working that too. So um, I think this was something that was always on the radar. Uh, and I don't know that Nick Saban knew about it, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did. Yeah, I think it was Eric Edholm who was at the Super Bowl this week asked uh, – Dan Quinn, who one of his favorite coaching influences was, and he said Nick Saban. So to kind of see Sarkeesian get hired after after reading that quote is, is pretty interesting. Makes sense. Yep. All right, let's switch this topic up a little bit. Uh, Tom Brady just won his fifth Super Bowl ring. So in your opinion, Ian, does this put him above Terry Bradshaw for the greatest quarterback of all time? <laughs> Terry Bradshaw? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think – I think it, you know, I don't know about Bradshaw, but um, – <laughs> I think it puts him over, you know, to me it would be, and I don't know about the greatest quarterback because it's so hard, but, you know, he's like the greatest winner of all time. You know, um, he's been on the best teams. Yeah. He's done the most in the highest profile, biggest moments. I mean, Joe Montana was the best. Um, it's hard for me to argue that Montana is better than Tom Brady. Now, even though Brady has Super Bowl losses and Montana doesn't, um, the greatest comeback I've ever seen you know, and Brady's a, he's just, he's amazing. And there's something different about these guys. And Montana was the same way, but, um, you know, a buddy of mine was seat, it was in the stands on Sunday, seated like second row, really, really close. And he was just taking videos and he showed me one. The Falcons go up 28 to three and he's got the video trained on Brady, like literally as, as they are scoring. And, He's throwing passes on the sideline. He kind of looks at the end zone, glances up at the scoreboard, shrugs his shoulders, and keeps throwing. And it's the craziest thing to me because he just went down 25 points, has never come down for 25 in the playoffs, let alone, I'm, I think, in his career. I don't think they've had a comeback like that in his career. And he literally doesn't flinch. And I watched him not flinch. It's an amazing thing that the worst-case scenario is happening before your eyes. And Tom Brady literally doesn't care. He just goes out and does what we need to do. And that is not normal. It's really not something I would do. Uh, it's not something most other players would do. But these guys are wired differently. It's incredible to watch. Ugh. Well, I'm a Falcons fan, so I'm just still sick over that whole game. Yeah, that did not go well for them. No. Uh, so, uh, our friend uh, Trevor Sikama at Tampa Bay Trey, what's your favorite beer? Um, I really like Sam Adams winter. Um, and it's sort of, well, you know, there's a harpoon UFO that I like a lot too. Um, oh, I, I think love the harpoon. Those are great. And, and when I look at 
Austin, um, that that UFO. It's got the white label. It's great. It was we lived right by the uh, the brewery. And we you know we took a little tour, go to some of their events. I mean, I love Harpoon, um, but I would say Sam Winter just because I probably get it the most of any of the seasonals, um, and it's. You know, whenever I know my reaction, whenever it's in, and I always get very excited. So, uh, <laughs> I would say that's probably my favorite. Yeah. So my, we we got we got to get an official uh, count for you. So do you do you like Corona more or Pacifico more? You got to speak for the people, Ian. Uh, I drink Pacifico all the time. So oh, that's yes, my boy. Yes. There we go. Official. We love, we love Pacifico in here. I, I just yeah. got put onto it recently by Justice. Um, I. I like the uh, the Sam Adams cherry wheat is really good. Uh, have you had that one? I have. You don't like that it's, one that much? It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Um, it's kind of to me, honestly. It's kind of like drinking flavored coffee, and I don't mean this to be insulting, uh-huh. um, but yeah, here comes an insult. Um, <laughs> it's kind of what you drink to me if you don't really know what you're drinking. It's like you know, I used to. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's, I used to drink flavored coffee. I'd be like, oh man, they don't have like the vanilla I like or whatever. And then you drink real coffee and you're like, oh, I get it. You know, the flavor is, is just good enough. Hold on one second, guys. What's up, man? Good, what's going on? Ian Rappaport just took a call. Yeah, so we'll be right back. All right, and uh, so we're back after that quick little intermission break. Um, let's see. We had a question about what do you think from uh, C. Mike did nothing on Twitter. What do you think is going to happen with Kalias Campbell in a uh, free agency? Very, very interesting case. Um, he made a lot of money last year. I actually thought they would redo his deal last year. Problem is, like, there's not you don't really know what to do with these guys, right? He's great. He's old. He still is probably, honestly, as good as he was, but he was making a huge number. I think it was $10 million a year last year, or eleven, uh, as far as his cap goes. Um, I think they're going to try to re-sign him. You, know, you might see a, a Cam Wake-type deal, short-term, high on the guarantee, since he's probably going to be on the team next year. Um, also got to redo Chandler Jones. That's obviously big on the priority list. Um but, you know, I think, uh, you know, I really think he's going to be back because it's pretty obvious where the team values him. So there was some weird stuff that happened with the Cardinals. I mean, someone reported that uh, Carson Palmer, his house was up on sale and that didn't end up being true. Do you, do you have any feel for if if the Cardinals are actually legitimately thinking about moving past Carson Palmer in, in the next year or so. I mean, Carson Palmer hasn't been the same, at least statistically since he had that finger injury against Philadelphia, like right before the postseason last year. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely true. I don't get the sense that the Cardinals want to move on. I know Carson was strongly considering retirement as was Larry Fitzgerald. sounds like both of them are coming back. Uh, you know, Carson hasn't really made it official. Um, but that's what it sounds like. And, you know, look, there, there's a lot of talk this time of year of replacing quarterbacks. Bears are going through it, too. Um, everybody is. Honestly, like most teams, uh, you know, Bills are doing it, too. You know, should we replace Tyrod? Should we not? The thing with replacing a quarterback is you better know who your quarterback's going to be, yeah. right? Because 
If you end up as one of those teams without a quarterback in this league, you are nowhere. Um, so I haven't got the sense the Cardinals would like to replace Carson, even though he was not at his best this year. Um, I think when he comes back in 2017, they will welcome him back with open arms. Yeah, I, I, it kind of seems like I, I think I think they're going to try to grab a guy like maybe Patrick Mahomes on day two of the draft and kind of start getting that a second quarterback. If he's there, if if he's there day two. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, you can already see what's happening. You can already see what's happening in the draft. I mean, we're talking. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it was like, oh, you know, Deshaun Watson, maybe a second round pick. And now it's like, wow, late first. And I mean, all these quarterbacks fly at the board. I've had people tell me Mahomes is their is their favorite quarterback in the draft. You know, we'll we'll see where they end up. Um, but everybody, every quarterback, gets overdrafted. Okay, so let's go with this. If you know. Your family on the line. You have to guess who the number one pick would be. Who who's Cleveland taking first overall, or or is Cleveland even picking first overall? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I'm sure they would like to trade. They always want to trade. It's right. hard to do a big trade for a non-quarterback, right? Like, I think it, it sounds like it'll probably be Miles Garrett. I mean, at least he's the at this point the consensus number one before the pre-draft process, which can really change things, right? Um. But I just – it's hard to imagine a blockbuster trade out of the number one pick for someone who's not going to be the face of your franchise quarterback for 12 years. Like I understand what the Eagles did. I understand what the Rams did. It, you know, I'm certainly not one of those who's written off Jared Goff. It's a rookie year. We don't know what he's going to be. But I get both of it, uh, both of those things. You know, trading for a non-quarterback, I mean, you know, this better be Khalil Mack or Jadevian Clowney when he's healthy, if you're going to do that. Yeah, it's definitely a hard sell. Uh, so we have one last question before we let you go, because we know you're busy. And uh, last question is, will you follow us on Twitter? Um, no. Okay. If you wouldn't follow Uncle Chaps, he's not going to follow us. Come on. True. I actually uh, I, I don't follow a lot of people. I mean, I there's – I, the number says I follow a lot of people, but there's a lot of people that don't tweet anymore that I follow. Um, I, uh, I've had to tell a lot of people that I do not follow them, including um, when I ran into Greg Olson at the Super Bowl, and he was like, I follow you. I was like, I don't really follow you. Um, I just – it's so much to keep up with, like, the news that's happening on Twitter. I try to keep everything off my timeline unless it's essential. Uh, and I know there are lists that you can make. I don't know how to do anything interesting or important like that. <laughs> yeah. So I stick to only like like the news people and a bunch of beat writers and things that are important. Not that you guys aren't important to me, which you're clearly not. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I'm just saying, if you ever need a, a fresh infusion of memes and rap music on your timeline, <laughs> where, the, where the people I mean, come to? I actually do. Uh, I, I'm reading a, a, a rap, like sort of history of rap book right now. Oh, the Shea Sharana book, the uh, yearbook? Yeah. That's, That's what I'm reading. Book. Attaboy. There we go. It's a, I've never seen anything like it. Um, it's a crazy idea for a book, but I'm loving it. So Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Will you at least retweet the art or the podcast when we send it out? I... <sighs> Maybe. Okay. Maybe. That's we'll fair. see. That's fair. Maybe. All I'll right. Consider, I'll consider it strongly. I would say, I'll say this. In the spirit of the Patriots Super Bowl win, it'll be more probably than not. <sighs> All right. <laughs> you have to hurt me with that one. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure you don't really have anything to plug since everyone sees you on TV every single day. But uh, 
really, really appreciate you taking some time to come on and uh, just you know talk with us for a few minutes. Ian right. cares about the little people. That's right. I only care about some little people. Like us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like my uh, very short. Yeah. So uh, that is going to wrap up episode what was it, 11 of Setting the Edge. We'll be back on Sunday with an interview with Taylor Rooks and some draft talk. See you guys then.